Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, come with me to Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. Uh, that's our Advent reading, Isaiah chapter 7. And uh, so, you can find, so you can find your way around. Uh, we'll also look at Second Chronicles uh, chapter 28, with, uh, beginning in uh, verse 22. So if you have a Bible and you want to find your way to maybe some of these places that you don't get to visit very often, um, Isaiah chapter 7 is our text. And we'll be making reference to Second Corinthians, uh, no, Second <laughs> Chronicles, uh, uh, chapter twenty-eight this morning. So let's pray together. Then we'll begin our study. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, all the sweet harmonies uh, this morning and uh, drawing our hearts uh, close to you during this uh, run up to Christmas, this Advent season. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the delights of uh, celebrating Advent is that it brings us back and it connects us to the Old Testament. And uh, when I come back to these passages in Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, uh, what resonates in my heart is Romans 15, verse 4. And Romans 15, verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in former days, so it's whatever was written in these Old Testament passages, and then Paul's going to give us the reason why we have uh, these Old Testament passages. So for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what? we might have hope. And so when I come to these Old Testament passages, I'm, I'm reading this, these texts through the lens of, Lord, what would you instruct me in? How would you encourage me? So that um, I could have endurance or I could finish the race. And when we look at Isaiah in particular, Isaiah speaks to at least four uh, kings of the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And it's possible that he ministered or spoke to five kings, but the fifth king is Manasseh, and that didn't go very well for Isaiah. Uh, most Bible scholars feel that it was Manasseh who executed Isaiah because he got tired of listening and listening to him and tired of Isaiah calling him uh, to have a love for, for the Lord. But there's four other primary kings that Isaiah ministers to. And each one of these kings, um, they have things in common that are, are helpful for me personally. Like the first king are, that we look at is, um, we're going to be looking at Ahaz, but uh, in verse 7, uh, or chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, so that's his father, right? Son of Uzziah, so that is his who? His grandfather. And so Uzziah, his grandfather, was a very godly man. He was very godly, and God blessed him in amazing ways. He conquered the Philistines, he rebuilt uh, cities. He established the, the worship of, uh, true worship of the God of Israel. Yet he had a flaw. 
And the flaw was this, that when he became powerful, when he became successful later in life, he became what? What was his downfall? He became prideful, and it ended up being his destruction. And so the takeaway for me when I look at Uzziah is to do what? Is to finish running the race, to finish it all the way to the end. Don't stop halfway or, well, I wish I was just halfway, but don't stop at the end, but continue to pursue and continue to serve Christ. When we look at Ahaz's father, and it tells us his name, his name is what in verse 1? His name is Jotham, right? He was a godly king too, but he had his flaw. Jotham promoted godliness and promoted the worship of God, except he had this one flaw. He never went all the way in giving his heart to Yahweh. He kept the high places. He kept the pagan worship. And in my life, it's that similar message. Will I... Will I persevere to the end? Will I run the race to the end? And will I give my whole heart to the Lord? Not just at the beginning or the middle, but will I give my whole heart to the Lord as I get to the end of my time in ministry? Because there's a temptation in life that once you get successful... Once you are in a position of influence, once you're in a position of power, what you do is you live off of that power and you live off of that position you have rather, in, rather than remaining humble and hungry for the things of God. So we see his grandfather, Uzziah. We see his father, Jotham. We will focus on Ahaz today, but we also know his son is a godly king to come. His son's name is, what's his son's name? Great king. Um, our, our, our brother Chris taught about him in his prayer. His, uh, the king's name was Hezekiah, right? And Hezekiah was a godly man. And he got ill, and what did he do? He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what to him? The Lord healed him, and except later in life, after that healing, the Babylonians came because they heard that God did a great thing in Hezekiah's life. And what filled Hezekiah's heart? I would say pride filled his heart. And he said to the Babylonians, oh, let me show you everything that God has given me. Let me open the storehouses. Let me impress you with how God has used me. And what happened to Hezekiah? Isaiah came to him and said, oh, my dear boy, my dear king, because of that pridefulness in your heart, the Babylonians will come. And they will take all that you've shown them. And that happened in 586 B.C. And then we know that 
Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, he's, he was even more wicked than Ahaz. And so the lesson that we learn from looking at the kings of Israel is that what we want to do is we want to persevere to the end. We want to keep a humble heart. What we want to do is point to God as the source of our strength, God as the source of our power, God as the source of his favor and blessings on our life. And if we, if we shift our focus onto ourself, it doesn't really end very well. And in ministry, you see that all the time. See, guys that do well at the beginning, they may do well in the middle, and then somehow they believe their own press. They believe that, you know, oh, they're so instrumental to be used by God. And they stumble and fall and end up in destruction. Now, I have a lot of friends here that keep me humble, so I appreciate that. But we all want to finish well. And we all want to finish in a way that glorifies God. And the kings of Israel teach us that, those lessons. Secondly, when we look at all these kings, these, these four kings, they, they had an attitude about their kingdom that was more important than the God of the kingdom. And that's why Isaiah came over and over again. And, he's, and Isaiah's testimony is, I saw the Lord... And the Lord was what? High and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And these wild animals roamed to and fro. And I realized I was a man of unclean lips. And he humbled himself before the Lord. They had an idea that their, that their nation was more important than the sovereign power of God. And we can see the same thing in our day, that nationalism that our country is more important or has more influence than the kingdom of God. And so these kings offer us some, some lessons about finishing well and staying humble and, and listening to the people that God would put in our path, like Isaiah. That's like Hezekiah. What rescued him was he listened to who? Listened ultimately to the Lord, but he listened to the prophet who God put in his life. So with that kind of introduction, come with me to Isaiah chapter 7, and, and let's work through our text this morning. For Ahaz was a, a wicked man. Take a look at the text, verses 1 and 2. Now when we look at Isaiah chapter 7, it's really confusing because Isaiah had a, a Semitic mindset where he didn't value, uh, like we do, chronology. So when he comes and writes out his chapter 7, Isaiah wrote it out. When he writes out chapter 7 in verses 1 and 2, he begins with the fulfillment of the prophetic word that he's going to give to Ahaz. And so when we look at verses 1 and 2, it can be really confusing because he tells us, what God, is, what God has promised, but what God has fulfilled. And then he unpacks it for us. So sometimes you come to these Old Testament passages, 
and you, and you read verses 1 and 2 and go, well, what is this? This is something that has already happened. Well, Isaiah wants us to know right up front this simple truth that God fulfills all his promises. And as we go through the narrative, what he's offering to Ahaz, a wicked man who offered his own children in sacrifice to the god Molech. Can you imagine that? Offering your child to this bronze statue where they heated it up and they would place children into these heated bronze as a, as a sacrifice. Anyway, come to the text with me. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so the political situation of the day is that Syria and the northern tribes of Israel, they wanted to conquer Judah. Matter of fact, we know they did. They, they destroyed 120,000 men of valor in attacking the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They wiped out 120,000 men. And then on top of that, they took 200,000 boys and girls and women off to captivity. And Ahaz and the people of Judah and Benjamin are looking at this and they're trembling because they know their day is done. They know their time is up. They know they're going to be destroyed and brought into captivity. And what the prophet does at the beginning in verses 1 and 2, he says that when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim and the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind, verse 3, and the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and share Jessub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And so they're trembling. And what, the prophet, what God does is send the prophet with his son. Jessub means a remnant will return. And so he brings his boy with him to speak to the king, saying, look, all is not lost. Let me introduce you to my son. A remnant, a remnant will return. And the prophet intervenes in Ahaz's heart and life and offers him grace. This is what grace looks like, verse 4. And the Lord said to Isaiah, say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. And then he gives, the prophet gives, gives Ahaz God's perspective on the problem. And the prophet speaks. He says, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, 
at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Amalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Amalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. And so the king is trembling, and Ahaz is fearful, and the people are fearful, and the prophet comes to Ahaz and says, quiet your heart. And what he's offering to the prophet is grace to believe and grace to trust. When you look at the problems that we face in life, this is, what, this is how the Lord brings grace to us. He says, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. And so the Lord is always speaking in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of his, our trials. He's always offering us grace to step into. Come back to the text with me. It says in verse 6, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And then in verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not what? It shall not come to pass. And so the Lord is, is offering this wicked idolater, someone that has sacrificed his children to a false god of Moloch. The prophet's coming and he's offering him grace. You know, if you're here today, that's the word of the Lord to you. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter what sin you've committed, God's grace and God's forgiveness is available to you today. Can you imagine the king offering his child in sacrifice? And yet God is reaching out to this king and says, I have grace for you, but will you step into it? Look at verse 9. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Amalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will be not, not what? Firm at all. It's common in our culture today, and we would hope the Supreme Court would correct the wrong. But if you're here this morning and, and when you were younger in your days and you had an abortion, God's grace and his forgiveness is available for you today. He says, there's nothing in your past that God can't forgive. There's no sin this side of heaven except dying without Christ that he doesn't have a remedy for. This evil idolater who offered his children in sacrifice, God comes to him and offers him grace and the only thing he has to do is to do what? He has to receive it. Hebrews 11.6 says what? Without faith, 
it is impossible to please God because those that come to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those that diligently or earnestly seek after him. See, grace is so offensive. It offends the sensibility of religious people. But this is our God. This is our God that comes to a king that deserves death and says, I've, I've got a lifeline for you. And here it is. And I'm offering it to you. And the only thing you need to do is believe that I'm a good God and I can work in your life. I think more than anything, what our culture and community needs is for us simply to be gospel people. But it's like the kings of Israel. The older you get, the more successful you get in life and in church life, you reach a point where, where you think it's about you rather than about the grace that intervened in your life and brought you to the place where you could be useful for the Lord. Or you get to the place where you're prominent and you're a pastor and you've got a church and you know, you're this thing and that thing and you're the Reverend Poobah doctor, whatever. You forget that, that you're nothing. The only true identity you have is the identity we have in Christ. And it's out of that position we have a generosity and a compassion for the Ahazes in our community. And there are a lot of Ahazes in our community that have done very atrocious, despicable things. But the grace of God is not limited by our religiosity. So the Lord comes to him in verse 10. So the Lord's already spoken to him once, and this is the beauty about knowing Jesus, is that he never stops knocking, Amen. never gives up, always pursuing, always wanting our heart, whether we're at the beginning of our journey with Christ or more along in the process. He never gives up inviting us, will you give your heart again? Will you acknowledge me as Lord again? Would you trust me again? Would you have faith in me again? And so Ahaz, the Lord is looking at him and he speaks through the prophet again. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz as, Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as hell itself or as high as heaven. And then what happens? Ahaz gets religious. He begins trusting in himself again. He begins trusting in the false gods again. And look what he says in verse 11. The Lord says, ask for a sign. In verse 12, Ahaz responds, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because Ahaz 
has bought into a lie that God isn't big enough. He's bought into a lie that the false gods of the Syrians, and that was the contemporary view of the day, is that if your people were conquered, your God was powerless. Except this. God will use the Syrians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, whoever he will rise up and bring down to sanctify his people and to keep his people on mission. Take a look with me. I asked you to kind of find Second Chronicles chapter 28 because this is the issue for Ahaz. He's bought into the culture of his day and the false gods of his culture. And, and it's keeping him from receiving. It's keeping him from asking. It's keeping him from stepping into all that God has for him. Take a look at 2 Chronicles 28, verse 22. In the time of his distress, was Ahaz in distress? He certainly was. He lost 120,000 men of valor from his army. He lost 200,000 men, women, and children. In the midst, at the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, the same King Ahaz, in verse 23, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me, but they were, they were the ruin of him and all Israel. Today, God relates to us the same way. Romans 15, 4, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Come back to Isaiah 7 with me. And so the Lord says to Ahaz, look, just ask me. And, and here, let's link it into the beginning of our teaching. Isaiah has already told us that God's going to do it no matter what Ahaz says. Because the scepter will not depart out of Judah. And all he's asking Ahaz to do, would you, would you get on the bus and trust me? So here it is for you today. What sin, what difficulty is keeping you from stepping in to what Jesus has for you? What belief in a false God, what cultural Value have you so closely held in your heart that when God says and comes to you and says, look, you can ask me anything from the depths of hell to the, to the heights of heaven because I've got grace for you and would you step into it? But Ahaz, oh no, he can't do it. He's too prideful. And so here's what God does. He says, I'll do it myself. And that's the rest of the text. Again, ask for a sign. Verse 12, Ahaz in verse 12 says, I will not ask. Verse 13, 
And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to exasperate (laughs) and weary men? Will you be so religious in the face of grace? And that's where I live. Will I finish well? Yeah, will I do it? Will I finish well? Will I persevere? Or will I trust in my own strength? Will I, will I have my hope in God and trust him to the end? Or will I perform little religious diddlies and try to serve and do ministry in my own power and my own strength? Because here's the crazy thing about ministry and pastoring is that often people don't notice. But God does. Will you do the same? Will you finish out? Will you run the race? Will you persevere? Will you endure? That's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of these Old Testament lessons. Will you hang in there and have faith? For it's impossible to please God unless you trust Him and have faith in Him. Believe that He exists and that He will reward those that diligently and earnestly seek after him. That was the invitation to Ahaz. Come back to the text. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. In closing this morning, what can we... What can we pull away from this to help us? The first thing I would say is that is to have faith, to trust God, to put your confidence and hope in him. Faith, Hebrews 11.6, we quoted Hebrews 11.1. Faith is what? The evidence. It's not seen. Things hoped for. It's a confident assurance that God will work in your life. And we have that person, Emmanuel, God with us, and we have that high priest who understands our troubles and our weaknesses. So let's step into him and all of his resources. Look what Hebrews 4, chapter 14, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 says. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we receive mercy and find grace in the time of our need. What was that song they sang this morning? I'll run to him. That's what it is. Faith stabilizes all the ups and downs of our life. That when we're doing so well, faith says it is God who's working. And when we're at utter failure, an utter failure, have been fired from our job, reprimanded by our supervisor, God says, I ain't done with you. Yeah. 
Faith speaks hope. Faith speaks hope. Secondly, grace requires a response. You got to step into it. You got to receive it. Like, what, what, what sin's keeping you from joy? What, what sin, every time you turn to God in your mind, you go, oh, you, you just, you just so unworthy. You did this. You know, when the devil tells me that, I say, you're absolutely right. But the blood of Jesus covers my sin and sets me free. For the joy is my strength. And finally, we have faith and grace because of a person. His name's Emmanuel. He is God with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. In him, we have victory over trials and difficulties in life. In him, we have hope and peace that gets us through the problems that are meant to sanctify us and, and build character in our life. But know this, he'll never leave us because he is with us. Amen? Ahaz was a wicked dude. But how did God relate to him? Ahaz, ask. Ask for a sign. 